Hey, you're listening to an Upbeat Rewind featuring Johnny Elsasser on April 5th, 2021. Johnny is a former Special Operations U.S. Army Ranger turned podcast host of a top 15 men's podcast, The Art of Masculinity. In this episode, Johnny shares his story with us, as well as a bunch of actionable advice regarding finding and deploying our authentic masculinity. You're listening to an Upbeat Rewind featuring Johnny Elsasser. This is Upbeat with beatboxer, musician, speaker, and show host, Parker K. Johnny, thank you very much for joining me on Upbeat. I appreciate it. Hey, brother. Thank you for having me. I'm honored to be on here just to jam out with you for a little bit and talk to your community. Absolutely. Super stoked to have you. Uh, I enjoy starting with stories and yours is one that is incredibly unique. I don't think I've had anyone on the podcast yet who's had any kind of a story like this. So if you don't mind just sharing with us, well, sharing with the listeners a little bit more about you and how you grew up, maybe what led you to do the things that you did. Yeah, brother. I appreciate that. And I appreciate you giving me the platform to to kind of fill everybody in. So uh, I'll try to do a short but, you know, uh, involved version so people can kind of get the picture. So I grew up in a, a very blue collar family. My dad was a mechanic. Um, I grew up close to my uncle. He detailed airplanes and uh, I used to do both those things. So I didn't grow up with like the easiest of jobs. So I was always like a physical hard worker. And um, I got to my end of high school and I realized all my friends were showing up one day with all these acceptance letters to colleges and stuff. And I was like, oh, I was supposed to do something. <laughs> and I was like, ah, <laughs> oh, crap, man. And uh, I had heard, I had no intention of being in the military whatsoever. I didn't, my family doesn't have a pedigree of being in the military. Um, but I had heard about, you know, the special operations groups. Uh, like SF and Rangers and Navy SEALs and all this stuff. A friend of mine had, a friend of mine and I had that conversation earlier that year. Just really, really weird conversation that wasn't planned. And all of a sudden, I, I go and I was like, "Well, let me go see what the Army has." Right? And this is 2004, so that we were really hot in the war. We'd been in Afghanistan for a couple years, and then we were just entering in Iraq. Uh, we were really hot in a place called Fallujah at the time. And I didn't know any of this stuff. I wasn't a kid that followed politics. I was like, oh, let me go see what the military has. So I go there and they want to sign you up. So I'm 17 years old. My parents had to emancipate me just to even sign up for the military. Uh, I get to the MEPS station, which is where they do all the medical and processing. And that's where you actually sign your real contract and do your swearing in. And I get there and the recruiter is like, hey, we're just going to put you into a regular army unit and this will be cool. And I was like, I'm 17 years old. I had no clue. I was like, well, can I get Rangers? And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can get to your unit and they'll get you Rangers from there. And to be honest, it's not how it works after now understanding <laughs> the military. That's not how that works. Um, and so he's like, yeah, they'll just let you go when you get there. So I shoot over to uh, the basic training and I was, a, you know, I was a physical, like I said, I grew up in a physical family. I played soccer my whole life growing up. Um, and I was very physical. So I was running, you know, 11 and a half minute, two miles. I was, you know, maxing out all my stuff for the PT test. And I get a drill sergeant that comes up to me one day and he's like, uh, I'm, I'm leaving chow one evening. And he's like, Hey, Ellis, come here. And I was like, Oh God, what did <laughs> I do, man? I'm about ready to get wrecked. And he's like, Hey, come in. So I come over and I was like, yeah, drill sergeant. He's like, Hey, what contracts you want? You want uh, special forces? You want ranges? You want to go be a sniper? What you want? And I was like, 
well, Joel Cern, I'd, I'd love to have a Ranger contract. He's like, all right, get upstairs. So we go upstairs. The next day, totally forget about this because, you know, we're in basic training. Come back from Chow again. He calls me over. I'm thinking I'm just going to get absolutely wrecked for something I did that day. He pulls out a piece of paper, turns his back around, has me sign the piece of paper on his back. And the next thing I know, out of basic training, I go to airborne school, then went to Rangers. Um, wow. And so... Yeah, it was it was a very fortuitous time in my life. I didn't know it then, and I didn't even know what I was embarking on. Really, I had no clue how hard it was going to be. I was just a, you know a young kid that really had no, didn't feel I had any limitations. So I was like, cool, like let me go do all these things. So went to Rangers and ended up in Second Ranger Battalion up in Washington State. And uh, soon after that, I was on my first combat tour in northern Iraq, and then went on two more tours, combat tours in Iraq, and another one in Afghanistan. Um, I left the military after doing my four and a half years and actually went to a private company and then protected the U.S. ambassador to Iraq for five years out of Baghdad. So all in all, I spent about 10 years in and out of the Middle East and finally just wanted, I've been there since I was 18 years old. I've been in the military since 17. I just wanted to find something back here, right? I wanted to be like, man, I really want to experience life in the United States. So I ended up... um, Coming back, taking a significant pay cut to take a job, uh, uh, entry-level job into the State Department. And really, I started to find out, it was about six months afterwards, for 10 years, I'd been programmed to really like the flag, the country, there was a bigger purpose than me, I'd be willing to lay my life down for my brothers, all these things. Well, now I'm behind a desk, six months goes in, and I am completely lost. Who I am, what's my purpose in life, what I'm doing. I'm starting to have like toxic behaviors where I just drink too much on the weekends. I wasn't like an alcoholic, but I drink too much on the weekends. I'd have like no purpose. Uh, At the time I was married, that kind of started to go into shambles and really just struggled with my own masculinity on who I was as a man. You know, I, I had lost everything that really tethered me to this deep, deep purpose. And I had to try to find out what the heck I was doing. So um, after my marriage ended and I started getting into, I started to figure out if I could get a small win on a purpose, I could start to make my way into back to who I was and who I liked being. And so I went and got into bodybuilding and I did a show and that was great. But then like the person that a friend of mine at the time, who's actually now my wife, she was starting to talk to me about the self-development space. And I really was like, no, that's for people who don't have any, they have, they're weak minded. They don't have anything going on. They can't just hold, pick up themselves by the bootstraps. I had this huge judgment of the industry and I was like, man, but then she would put on a podcast here and there and I'd be like, oh, that was really good information. And then I'd start listening to a podcast here and there. And so I started to lower that wall. And as soon as I, I realized it clicked for me, as soon as I realized that oh, wow, if I'm making up all these excuses for myself on how I can improve who I am, all my buddies are doing the same thing. Because as men, we really try to measure people's backgrounds as to whether or not we should trust them or appreciate what they say. And I was like, well, if I can start to learn these things, these tools to really help men um, change their mindset and start to improve who they are and really do self-assessments, then that's a huge mission. That's a huge purpose. And I was like, and most men are going to respect my background enough to give me a shot to get their ear. Right. And that's where I was like, I can, I can use this 
to really help. So that was, that took me from where I was to, to where I am now, just really trying to help men find themselves in their own authenticity. Thank you for that. I think you did a great job. It's, it's like you've run through it a couple hundred times or something on other <laughs> podcasts and stuff. Really great job. Really great summary. Um, now the listeners are informed, which this is a great place to, to kick off this episode. Um, and I wanted to, to start off as well by saying thank you for your service. Really appreciate you doing the things that you've done. Um, and that's a lot of time to spend out there doing those things too. Just to clarify a timeline, how long was like the time once you returned to the time uh, you started your podcast, The Art of Masculinity? Oh man! Um, so I and first, thank you for for the appreciation. I I appreciate that, and I receive that. Thank you so much. Um, I probably started that. When was that? Like, it was probably two years, maybe a year and a half to two years after I got out and or after my marriage ended, and then I started the podcast. It took about two years to get me to that point because. At the time, too, I, I wanted to make sure if I was going to give content to people, it was going to be helpful, right? So I had to do my own education because I'd been fighting it for so long. I'd do my own education on self-development and getting tools to really help men and what has some scientific proof to it and what has maybe just a proven method. So I tried to intermingle all these things and then include my experience. So I tried to intermingle all these things to to really bring something forward. So it took it took me about a year and a half to two years before I actually started that. Yeah, yeah, and it's got to be. I mean, I I mean, it's got to be hard like to come back from that and just have this two year gap where where like you said, it, it like you just didn't know for sure who you were and you had a lot of doubt and stuff. Um, and some podcasts helped you. Do you mind sharing maybe like one or two of the podcasts that helped you? Are they still around today? Oh yeah. I mean, one of the people that I really, really value and he just an amazing human being is Josh Trent. Um, Josh Trent has wellness force, uh, radio, or I think it's, he switched it to just wellness force, but just an amazing podcast. And he spans all kinds of things from health to, you know, helping, with masculinity to psychology to all these different things. And it was just something that inspired me that like, Oh, okay. That's somebody I can kind of respect. Like he's, he seems like a really cool dude. He's incredibly knowledgeable. I can respect him. And then, and then the classic one is, is just Lewis house. Lewis house has put out some great, great content for, for everybody, not just men, but for men and women. And I truly believe I've had the fortune of, of meeting him a couple of times and truly believe he just has a big heart and really wants to help. So, uh, those were a couple that, uh, as I started to open up and really just take that chip off my shoulder, they were two that helped me, um, you know, kind of find my own way. So, yeah. Awesome. That's so cool. Yeah. I listened to, uh, Lewis Howes as well. Uh, haven't as much recently been super busy, but I love, I loved listening to his, his podcast as well as yours. I've been a listener of yours. It's been super awesome. Uh, I love something you talk about this motto that you have of power, grit, and cuddles. <laughs> Every yeah. time I hear that and read that, I just, you know, I feel good. I laugh. Uh, what was kind of the inspiration behind, I guess, creating that motto and then, um, I guess, talking about feminine masculinity and, you know, more manly or, or 
whatever you call it, masculinity? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a great question. And it's really fun. So I, I put it on there because I wanted to, you know, part of me was challenging every man to stop taking everything so seriously. So the fact that it makes you laugh and kind of chuckle, like that's the intent behind it because there's this balance, there's this symbiotic relationship between masculinity and femininity. And we have and operate in both fields, regardless of who we are and what we want to believe. And the men that take themselves ser too seriously and try to think that they're all hard and like a man is, is this, you know, tough as nails and all these things. It's like, brother, that's, that's really not what it is. Cause I've stood shoulder to shoulder with some of the toughest men on this planet and they're goofy. They're silly. They love, they laugh, they cry. They don't take themselves seriously. They, they open up about struggles and you would never know that they're one of the baddest guys in the room. That's the funny part because they also don't sit there and embody what, you know, society has told us a quote unquote manly man is, but you put them in a scenario where they have to be and it's lights out. And so when, when, uh, you know, I created that, I created that because of the fact that I was like, you know, number one, we as men can't take ourselves too seriously. And when you throw cuddles in anywhere, it's just hilarious. Uh, and number two, you know, Everybody wants to use power and grit and all these like super uber masculine terms. But when you pair them with the complete polarity of something so soft and silly, it's just like, oh man, like, yeah, like power and grit. And like, it helps you to join them in a way that people can start to lower that and start to lower their walls and be like, okay, like I get it. Like I, it doesn't always have to be like, oh, I am man. Hear me roar. Like, <laughs> It's not that way, man. So I chose that because I love it. I thought it was fun, but it also allows guys to remember that life can be fun. And regardless of how badass you are or the, the, the things that you've done in your life, you can always, always find more softness. You can find more love and empathy, and you can find more um, support in yourself for others. Because I think that's, that's where a lot of men struggle. Absolutely. I'd agree with that. Um, and thank you for putting that message out there because, um, you know, I've, I've been really deep in this kind of motivational personal development space for the last three or so years. And, um, there seems to be a lot of things for women that, that help those help with those kinds of things. And then for men, there's a lot of, like you said, the power and the grit and step up to the plate. There's a lot of stuff out there specifically focused toward dads, um, how yeah. to step up as a dad, run your business, do those kinds of things. Um, there's not very much out there that talks about the more feminine side of things. And I think when you, when you bring up, you know, heart, mind, spirit, body, those kinds of topics, it's, there's like this stigma that it, that makes it so, uh, you know, we all think that it's a girly thing or something to talk about mind, body, and mm -hmm. spirit, and it isn't necessarily. And I feel like oh. you're out there accomplishing that and sharing a, a good message. Mm, that means the world to me because that's literally all I try to do. It's it's to understand, you know, this world works 
cohesively when we have polarity between feminine and masculine. And regardless of whether you're talking about your relationship with your spouse or regardless of whether you're entering into a social construct with other people, there's the balance between femininity and masculinity. And we have to understand that the polarity helps us to maintain cohesion and also collaboration. And so we as men have to understand that if our life is ruled by uber masculinity and we're neglecting the femininity within us, then we're not open to actually listening and receiving and supporting. We're just hammering. That's all we're doing. And so we have to understand that even in those moments of being having that that feminine energy come out of us, that feminine energy is there to help us. It's why we have both. And, and we, we do that by allowing ourselves to accept and acknowledge feelings. You know, We do that by allowing ourselves to support one another with no expectation of anything in return. We do that by allowing ourselves to have empathy for others and to be compassionate. Like those are all things that fall in line with that feminine energy. But if we're not willing to accept that, then yeah, you can just be a hard dude, but guess what? No one's going to like you and you're not going to have great relationships. And you're also going to have a lot of repressed emotions that are going to come out in very, very, very toxic ways. So in the end, it doesn't serve you because life doesn't end up in a happy place. And at the end of the day, that's where we're all trying to be, you know? Absolutely love that. And uh, I wanted to bring up too, I've heard you mention this before. You've probably been asked it a bajillion times. Um, but just the difference between, you know, the stigma of alpha male and beta male. Um, and I think you may have actually alluded to it a little bit earlier, talking about these these guys who are the most like manly guys out there, but they're, they're goofy and they're sharing their emotions and stuff. But what is this stigma between alpha and beta male? Well, I think the, my personal opinion is that the first thing is society got this very wrong. Society's promoted the peacock. The, I like to call the peacock male, the guy, the guy that's got a throw his feathers out there. The guy that's got to walk with, you know, like he's got freaking suitcases underneath his, his armpits. And the guy who's <laughs> got to sit there and like demean other people to show how cool he is. Right. But he's really the wounded child. He's really got a lot going on emotionally. He hasn't accepted. And he's really not when he's confronted by what I like to call the real alpha, he shrinks down or he gets put in his place very easily because the fact of the matter is he never was the real alpha. He was, he was somebody that was trying to be perceived that way for protecting his insecurities, protecting his shame, protecting his guilt, protecting his wounds. That's all he's doing. And, and I don't say that to demean that man. I say that to call him out. And I want to call him out because guys guys that are walking around that way. Trust me, I was that guy before I actually went through my own growth. I used to think that that was the best defense against people picking on me. And there's a there's an evolutionary reason for that. But the problem is, is society has pushed that man up. But in reality, he's he, in a lot of ways, he's just a coward. He's a coward hiding from himself. That's what I mean. And so for me, majority of these people who are being called quote unquote alphas are not actually real alphas. When they're confronted by a real alpha, they shrink back and they get back into that child form because they don't know how to handle that. 
And when it comes to beta males, everybody wants to call them out, but not everybody's meant to be a leader or be overly confident in what they're doing. Some people are very introverted and very just loving and supportive, and that doesn't make them any less of a man either. And that's what I hate. Like, you know, they, they want to, people want to demean that man. But at the end of the day, those men are still great men. They're just great men in their own way. They're just not the societal peacock alpha, right? And then the true alpha has never been defined. The true alpha is the guy who can balance between that feminine and that masculine, right? And he can be in both worlds and be confident in how he shows up. He can be humble in how he shows up. He can be, he can not take life or himself too seriously. Like that guy is the true alpha and they're very few and far between, but they're out there and it doesn't make him any better than a guy that is quote unquote a beta. It just makes him different. Like that, that's at the end of the day, the stem of all of this reaches out to just being authentic, which with whatever version of man that you are, because the real, the real talk is authenticity. That is it. Because when you're inauthentic, you are, you have guilt, you have shame, you're depressed, you're sad, and you don't know why. And this goes for alphas and, and betas, even if you want to continue to call them that. It goes for every man in general. The more you hide from your authenticity and try to meet societal constructs, the more your life is going to be miserable and you'll never like waking up and looking in the mirror and loving that man looking back at you. You'll never like it. Inauthenticity is a killer of confidence and it is the killer of happiness. Wow. Pure gold. I'm going to have to clip that part. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> that was awesome. Um, and I guess, how can people better discover their true, authentic masculinity? Because sometimes I feel like, um, you know, people ride with, quote unquote, a lie for, for so long that they've fooled themselves and they don't even... They don't even know where to start. They've lived their whole lives trying to just meet a certain standard, you know? Mm -hmm. And so what are some things that, that we can do to better recognize what our true authentic masculinity is? So uh, it's, uh, it's funny that you bring that up, brother, because it's, it's really, there's a quote that says, if you tell yourself a lie long enough, it becomes truth. But I believe that wholeheartedly in every aspect of life, in every aspect of society, but the one difference with us as humans is you can believe it's truth and you're still going to feel disconnected. And that's when you know that you're inauthentic. And that's where you know that you've told yourself a lie for so long. You've started to only believe it by hearing it, not believe it in your cellular form and, or your subconscious form. Because authentically, you are something very different from that. So when we talk about trying to give guys, I, I love to give guys tools. I love to give you guys tangible things you can take to the bank and say, hey, if I try this, if it works, great. If it doesn't, then great. You know, I at least gave it a shot. So for me, what I like to tell guys is create what I like to call your manly blueprint, your masculine blueprint. Okay. And in the first column, you're going to have four columns and then underneath you're going to have just like say a bubble, right? Make like an elongated bubble. And in the four columns above your first column, you're going to write down all the masculine traits that were given to you. Because the first thing we have to accept is that from zero to eight years old, 
we're completely malleable. Really from zero to two, you're in what's called delta waves. Your brain's in delta waves, which is what we sleep in, okay? This is where we dream state. But from two to about seven or eight, you're in what's called theta. And this is where we have hypnosis take place. This is what hypnotists put you in so that they can stop you from smoking and things like that. We're completely malleable brain-wise during theta. And so what happens is a lot of our pre-programming for masculinity was written a long time ago for us, not by us. And that was for, I mean, it's evolutionarily that's helpful, right? But at some point you have to take stock in yourself as a man and say, let me look at my toolbox of masculine traits and what I've been given and what fits with me and what really doesn't. And that's what this masculine blueprint does. We get in the first column, start writing down all the things that you think at right now that you think make a man, right? And you're going to write quite a few down. Think about, I want you guys to think about the person that you looked up to the most. And it may not be your father, hint, hint. Mine was my uncle. Even though my father's alive, I love him. Mine was my uncle. But it's also movies. It's also uh, commercials. It's also toys that we saw when we were kids. It was comics. There's all these things that we looked at to create our own masculine blueprint. So write those down. Write those down in the first column. And then in the second column, write down all the things that no longer serve you from that first column. Write down what doesn't align with you, okay? And so now we have all the things that from the first column and then cross them off out of the first column once you move them out of there to the second column. That way you can kind of, this is going to be a transfer game. So once you write that in the second column, write down all the ones that don't serve you, okay? What's left? is going to go over in the fourth column. But in the third column, what you're going to write are all the traits of a man that you actually look up to now. And it could be in people that you look up to in your life. It could be things that you've read about. It could be things that you've seen that you, you would like to embody those. But the things that make you feel that if you had those, you'd be authentic with yourself. So at this point, we're making the cognitive choice on the traits we want to bring into our life. And then in the fourth column, you're going to take what was left over from the first and what you had in the third and create a master list of your new masculine blueprint, right? So that's what it's going to be. You chose all those traits. You chose the ones from the past that you're aligned with. You chose the new ones. You got rid of the ones that no longer served you, that weren't authentic with you, and you created your own organized master blueprint. And the last step to it is out of that big list that you have, it could be 10, it could be maybe only six, right? It could be whatever it is, but out of that fourth column, take three to five traits. Three to five, that's it. And you're going to put those in that elongated bubble underneath. And remember, this isn't what it means to be a good person. This is what it means to be a good man in your eyes, a man of principle, of honor, of integrity. That's what this is about. And in that elongated bubble, you'll write three to five. And the reason I say three to five is because under all the things I've learned in special operations and all the things I did overseas, 
you are only as good as your base level of training when everything goes to mayhem, okay? And at the end of the day, when your brain clicks down to your sympathetic nervous system, which is fight or flight, you need to be able to remember the man that you want to show up as in every moment. And that comes down to three to five traits. And if you can do that and you show up as those three to five traits, whether it's a happy moment, a sad moment, an angry moment, whatever it is, you are authentic with who you are and you'll be able to look back in the mirror and say, man, I'm really happy with how I showed up today. That's the man that I want to show up as every day. And on your best days, you'll show up as all the traits in that final column, right? So we want to make this accessible to you when your brain and your cogni uh, cognitive abilities shut down and you're functioning strictly on your base level of training. And so you write those three to five in there and that becomes the ultimate blueprint for you. And from there, you write them on a sticky note and you put them on your mirror or you put them on your computer, you put them where you can see them regularly and you look down at them and remind yourself what it means to be a good man to you. Boom. Boom. <laughs> that was that was awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. That's a lot of value. I'm going to for sure go through uh, back when I listened to this and, and do that myself and would highly encourage anyone listening in to do that. Um, absolute fire. And it really resonated with me too, uh, especially what you were saying at the very beginning, um, just in in what was maybe written for us, not by us. That really hit home to me because uh, I grew up in a home where I didn't have a father for most of my life. Um, not not in in the home. Um, he's still he's still around, and and we talk sometimes. But uh, for the most part, from eight or nine years old up through today, I didn't I didn't grow up with <laughs> a dad, you know. And just some memories popping back in my head of going to Boy Scouts. Like I was an Eagle Scout. I did Scouts, and there was this element of like. I I felt more feminine because I didn't like have a, a dad around to teach me the the things that those guys had with their dads, you know, with their mm -hmm. knives and their ropes and starting fires and things like that. And I started to really, uh, you know, deploy some self-awareness and just be like, what kind of masculinity am I? And I think I sub subconsciously did that and I just started to pick things that I liked, you know, and realize like I'm more of a creative. I've, I'm more of a gentleman. I'm more of a, of a nice guy or a softy more than I am <laughs> the manly man with, with my hands and building stuff and things like that. And it's really fascinating what you said, how we're not necessarily born with a specific masculinity. It was more just like the, the way we've, we've been brought up, especially in those earlier years, it just kind of was written for us, which is really cool to, to learn about. Yeah, brother. And, and that, that actually is one of the things in masculinity that, that crosses all cultures, right? Is that we learn what it is to be a man through what we see socially in the men within our tribes, right? If you look at these cultures or within society collectively, and that's how we actually develop that as at a young age. And so we, 
we either look at things and associate them with masculinity because we don't understand words, right? We, we look at them as children and say, oh, that's what a man does. That's, that's what dad does, right? Or that's what, you know, he does. Okay. And then we start to get conditioned with words on what it's supposed to be. So at the end of the day, that's what we do in society. And there's a purpose for it. And it serves us. That's, and that's what I want guys to remember. This served you until this point. So don't degrade it. But take acknowledgement, take responsibility and ownership of it and say, okay, this served me to get here. Let me see how I can make a cognitive decision, a conscious decision to now write this for myself and have it serve me as I move forward. Love that. You know, and in today's society, I feel like there's such a lack of this is going to sound mean. I don't mean it to sound mean, but such a lack of like emotional intelligence or mm-hmm. critical thinking or accountability of any kind and, a, and an yeah. increase in pride and selfishness and, and just the ability to, to stir up confusion, you know? And I feel like everything that you've kind of laid out on the table so far in this episode are things that will really help our help our, help us protect ourselves from those things, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but also maybe learn how to encourage others to, to deploy that as well. Yeah. And, and, you know, at the end of the day, when you look at this, the more authentic you are with yourself, the more confident you are. And guess what? The less easily you are swayed by misinformation and other people trying to bully you, right? Like you're not swayed by it because you're confident and you stand up for the principles you have in you, regardless of what those are, whether whether they fall more on the feminine spectrum or not, like you are still the man that you're choosing to be. And when you hold to those principles, you'll always have more confidence that will leave you less vulnerable to being manipulated and swayed in ways that are not authentic with you. Love that. Last thing here, uh, unless there's something else you want to get into, but I, I really wanted to bring up this whole, you know, element of competition and independence that is there within guys as well. Not even, not just um, like in relationships and stuff, but also even just between buds and between friends, like there's just this constant competing. And so I was just curious what some of your thoughts are around that. And if whether or not that's healthy or unhealthy for us, I'd imagine it's somewhat of a balance, but uh, yeah. Yeah, brother. Great. That's a great, great question. I really love this one and I, I don't get it very often. I think I had it one other time. And um, the reason why this is a great question is because inherently men are bred for competition. That's why we have sports. That's it's the new age arena for the gladiators, right? Like that's what it is. We have this masculine form of physicality that's displayed there and talent, right? But at the end of the day, competition can be good and it can be completely detrimental. And in life today, it's great to look at somebody and compete with them because it challenges you to rise up to another level. It's not good when your competition with somebody else has you putting them down and making them feel bad about themselves. When you start to have competition and start to demean other people, that's when it's not healthy. Competition is a great thing because it helps us to 
achieve higher goals. We would never, if I didn't compete with my brothers in battalion, I wouldn't have been as good of a ranger as I was. If I didn't compete with my friends in sports, I wouldn't have been as good of a soccer player as I was. But I didn't compete with them so I could make fun of them and demean them and say how much better I was at a bar, right? That's not why I did it. I did it because I had a higher level of expectation for myself that I wanted to achieve. And so when we look at it in a way that we're actually only competing with others so we can raise the bar for ourselves, then we have that form of healthy, healthy co competition. But in, the, in all of this, the funny thing is, you're only ever competing with yourself. That's the funny thing. Because if you can't be 1% better tomorrow than you were the day before, then you've lost that competition because you're the only one that can bring you down faster than anybody else and raise you up faster than anybody else. So our competition is really only with our own mind and our own selves. Competing with others, it's great to see something that maybe you'd like to achieve, but if you can't beat yourself, then you can never achieve anything anyways. Dr. Joe Dispenza talks about this and um, he, he talks about how people would ask him, why, uh, when does he meditate and why? And he says, I meditate in the morning and he meditates for like two or three hours. He's like, I meditate in the morning. And he says, I do it because at the start of my day, I conquer the hardest thing, my own mind. After that, there's nothing else that's going to be tougher than that during my day. And so it's the same thing when it comes to competition with us is that truly we are only competing with ourselves. To compete with others should be something to help you push yourself harder and further, not something to bring others down. If it is, you need to start assessing why you're competing because if you're competing to put others down, you're not facing an insecurity or a childhood wound that you have. That's the bottom line. And we have to understand that again, if you're competing in that negative way, you're really competing with the negativity in you that you have to overcome. It has nothing to do with the other person. Wow, absolutely love that. Really good insight. Uh, and if, if it's okay too, uh, I really yeah. want to segue into uh, the wild man experience and just ask you like how much friendly competition is in that process and uh, what people can expect if they go look into that. Oh, thank you, brother. I appreciate that. Yeah, the wild man experience, it's its a lot of fun. It's a container that I created out of pure love um, for men to, to get three things. I wanted them to get treated very well. So it's a whole VIP experience. Everything is taken care of the entire time. Guys get pampered in their own way, right? So guys are all taken care of. Two, Men get to build a tribe of like-minded men. You have deeper conversations. You get through all the bull crap. You don't have to worry about the, the minute conversations of like, how's the weather today? How are you feeling? No, it's like, hey, man, what's going on in your life? What are some of the struggles you have? How's your marriage going? Like it's real deep stuff to connect with other men. So it gives you a tribe of other men to bond with. And then you get to have some fun from some of the special operations things that I used to do. So I package all this together. Yes, we have guns. Yes, we have helicopters and we have cars that you get to shoot out of all of them. 
while they're all moving. But that is really to help forge a bond with the men that you're there. Because in special operations, I learned two things. You bond very, very tightly with men that you either go through significant trauma with or you go through significant excitement with. And so because I didn't feel like beating everybody up with just making them crawl <laughs> through the sand and stuff, I wanted to give them something fun to bond with. And that's why we came up with the wild man experience. That's why we throw you guys in helicopters and we throw you guys in cars and you guys are out there shooting, having fun. And we have some fun, healthy competitions. We have a hatchet throwing contest that you get a really cool gift if you win that. Um, we have some shooting contests that, you know, it's a lot of fun and you get some gifts out of that too. And it's just, we do it so that it becomes fun. But at the end of the day, it's a pure friendly competition because you're, it has nothing to do with any guy being better than the other one. It literally has to do with just trying to see if you can push yourself, your limits on your capabilities. Because the competitions that we do there are something that most men have never done. So they're naturally not going to feel comfortable, which puts them out of their comfort zone and takes away that unhealthy version of competition. So that's the fun stuff with it. But the wild man experience, anybody is welcome to come to it. I really appreciate you opening the door to that. Um, just DM me at johnny.elsasser on IG and we can talk about getting somebody involved in it. We have one coming up in two weeks. Uh, so February 25th to the 27th is, is one. And then we're going to do one more towards the end of the year. And I'll put those dates out later, but it's a fun time. It's where men come to grow, men come to bond, and then men come to be excited. Awesome. Su sounds super incredible. I was going to ask, I think you just answered it saying that anyone can come, but I was going to ask if it's, if it's linked specifically to your podcast or to your coaching or or a course or anything like that, or if it's just purely something that you created to, to try to help out and provide a fun experience for people. It's purely something I created to just give an experience to men out there to help them lower their walls. It's a, it's a very masculine quote unquote masculine environment, but it's not treated that way when we're breaking bread together and having conversations that really we're getting vulnerable. We're exposing ourselves. We're exposing who we are that maybe we've never done before in a, with a group of men. So it's nothing other than a container for men to feel safe, to feel heard, and to feel supported. Awesome. Well, this is a good segue into my last little segment here. It's called the Upbeat Seat. We've got some uh, questions for you. They're quicker questions. Johnny, what makes you upbeat? Uh, what makes me upbeat? I would say working out. I literally just love it. It's a fun thing for me. Um, and it's something that I've been doing since I was 16 years old. So I would say personally, because I, it's very cathartic, it's a release for me and I really get into my own mind. I can think about things deeply when I work out. Working out is probably what keeps me upbeat. Who is your number one influence or inspiration? Oh man. Uh, well, my number one influence and inspiration would have to be my uncle. He is the one that really taught me that a man can be strong, but he can love and he can be empathetic and he can be highly intelligent. So I, I, I truly, truly love my uncle for that. What kind of music do you love listening to? 
Uh, depends on the day. I'm an open book, but I'd say predominantly mine is country music for sure. Yeah, that one takes the cake. Awesome. Uh, what's your favorite word? Ooh, uh, my favorite word is compartmentalization. I'm... I love com- I love compartmentalization because it helps us to not get overwhelmed. It helps us to realize that if we can just take one bite at a time, we'll end up finishing the meal eventually. Awesome. Normally I repeat back the word and say, uh, how come? Uh, but that one, I, I didn't want to try saying it. I don't think I could say that word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, definitely my favorite though. What's your favorite TV show? Oh man. Can it be a Netflix show? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so my favorite next Netflix show has probably got to be the last kingdom. Really, really love that show. If anybody's ever seen it, it's, it's, freaking amazing and i can't wait for the next season to come out a uh, favorite social media platform and where people can connect with you uh so my oh, my favorite social media platform and where they can connect with me is probably instagram but clubhouse is starting to seem really fun i like clubhouse so i put on a, a group there as well for guys to come hang out um, it's called Man Talks and Drinks, and it's just really a safe space for guys to talk about life and what's going on. And so um, we get pretty deep in there, and I'm really starting to like Clubhouse. But I'd have to say Instagram. You can link up with me on that, and that's Sasser. If you find me on Clubhouse, it's literally the same thing. So it's easy to easy to connect with me on either. Great. So happy you said that because I was going to ask you if if you're enjoying Clubhouse. I saw that you're on there and I gave you a follow. I would love to do a room with you sometime, uh, do some beatboxing, uh, add value however I can. But I would agree that Clubhouse is a phenomenal app and I think it's my my up and coming personal favorite. <laughs> 100% agree, dude. And I, and I would love to be, I'd love to host a room with you, brother. So anytime. Awesome. Sounds good. Well, I, uh, per usual, I like to close things out by beatboxing the guest's name. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and put your name into a beat. Oh, yeah. And it'll be choppy on Zoom, but I've got it recorded over here and I'll send it to you later. (laughs) (laughs) I love it, brother. That's awesome. Johnny Elsasser. That is so cool, man. <laughs> I freaking love that. That's amazing. Awesome. That is Thank some you. skill, brother. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, it's definitely fun. That's been one of those things in my life that totally has been an icebreaker and uh, it's like my superpower. So I love it. <laughs> that is so cool. I'm just in awe, man. That is so cool. Thank you. Well, and thanks, Johnny, for being on Upbeat and for bringing the immense amount of value that you did. I sure appreciate it. Absolutely, brother. Thank you for having me. This is Upbeat with beatboxer, musician, speaker, and show host, Parker K. Subscribe at parkerk.co.